0: Marriage isn't always easy, but God created it for your benefit. Today, we'll hear part two of Stuart's message looking at God's incredible design for marriage, taking two people and making them one. But first, the generosity of friends like you keeps broadcasts like this one going out around the world so you and others can experience life through the biblical teaching and resources of telling the truth. As thanks for your gift today, We'll send you Eight Things That Make a Marriage Work, an insightful four-message series from Jill Briscoe about how you can build a long-lasting and fulfilling marriage founded on God's Word. So call today to request yours, 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388. Or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. Now, here's Stuart's message God's Design for Marriage. Now, what's the problem?
1: He's got mad, she's in tears, and all they've said so far is that he has a headache. Well, the problem, well, there are two problems actually. The first problem is he is a man, and the second, even bigger problem, is that she is a woman. Now, what, what does that mean? Well, It means this, that a woman by nature is a nurturer. She is an empathizer. She is a relator. So when he says, I have a headache, immediately empathy, relationships, nurturing takes over. And how does she do it? By explaining to him, in effect, I know exactly how you feel. Men are competitors. So when he says, I have a headache, and she says, I had a migraine, he says, I can't even have a common garden headache without her having a bigger, better, grander headache. <laughs> so he gets irritated, and she gets upset. Well, you could probably think to your own marriage, and you could probably think of misunderstandings like that. All right, try, turn around the other way. Wife says, I've got a splitting headache. He says, take a couple of aspirins. And she says, do you think I am such an idiot that I don't know to take a couple of aspirins? And he says, good night. <laughs> what sparked that off? You see? Well, what sparked that off is he is a man and she is a woman. It's not terribly complicated. Because, you see, the situation, as far as a man is concerned, is that life is a series of problems to be fixed. Are you with me? I have a headache. Easy. Take two aspirins. <clears throat> Next. <laughs> But is she thinking of life as a series of problems to be fixed? No. What is she thinking? She is thinking life is all about needs that need to be met. And I have a terrible need here for a little tender, loving care. And what did I get? Take two friends. <laughs> you get my drift? All right, now that's just touching on the surface of the thing. But you see the point here. From the beginning of creation, marriage is a creation ordinance, a divine principle. God created male and female. Gender and sexuality are intentional constructs that God has granted to us for our well-being. But the potential of getting them wrong is plain to see. All right, moving right along. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. All right, now this this has particular cultural connotations. for so The day in which Jesus lived, in the culture in which he lived. It was perfectly normal in those days when a couple got married for the man to leave his ancestral home and go to live in the ancestral home of the wife. The reason for this being social security had not been invented. So, of course, it did not run out of funds either. But it's just trying to be topical there. But... It had not been invented, so what happens if a young wife suddenly is a widow and there's no support for her at all? Well, there's lots of support for her in her father's house, in her father's brother's, her uncle's house, in her brother's home. And so that when a guy was getting married in those days, what he had to consider was this. Am I so committed to this woman that I am prepared to walk away from other things that have been critically important to me, because she is now the center of my attention. That's what you have to decide. And that's what people getting married have to decide. And many of them don't. So that two years later, what do we hear? Well, we're breaking up. Oh, why? He doesn't want to be married any more it's amazing the sheer trivialities of the reasons that people break up in their marriages in this day and age sheer trivialities so often and that is not to suggest there aren't serious problems in other situations but the, un- the underlying problem is this They have not recognized right from the very beginning there is a principle here. And the principle of marriage, as God ordained it, is number one, it's my idea, not yours. Number two, gender and sexuality are something I have intentionally created different for your good. And number three, marriage requires sacrifice. Marriage requires sacrifice. I had a couple who were getting married shortly after I came as, as pastor to Elmbrook Church. And uh, it was really funny, if it hadn't been so sad. But they came to me for premarital counseling. It was obvious they'd had a fight on the way over. She was in tears and he was looking like thunder. And so I knew this had to be handled sensitively. So I said, I had a fight, huh? Well, I could have wagged the finger at the minister and just came gently and said, I had a fight, huh? And, and she burst into tears again. He says, no. <laughs> I, said, I said, come on, you did. And I'm thrilled you did. Because if, I said, everybody in marriage is going to have a fight sooner or later. The thing is, you've got to find out what the rules are. And so in my premarital counseling, I welcome a fight so we can examine this thing. And if, if you didn't have one, I would precipitate one just so that we could, just so that we could, you know, work on it together. And so that's what we did. Well, this, this one didn't need any precipitation. I can promise you. She said to me, you won't believe what he just told me. On the way over here tonight You will not believe it I said, young lady I promise you I will <laughs> I looked at him and I said, I, I believe you You haven't told me yet I believe it, go ahead She said, he was just telling me He was just telling me That ever since he was a little boy He's never missed deer hunting And he's just Told me that our wedding day is the first day of deer hunting. (laughs) And as he's never missed deer hunting, he expects us to spend our honeymoon deer hunting.
0: hearing from Stuart Briscoe on telling the truth. We'll be right back with more biblical wisdom on what God wants for your marriage but before we dive back into Stuart's teaching we want to share this note sent in by Joel an online listener who shares Stuart helped me understand the true meaning of walking with our Lord. Jill has an amazing way to explain the peace we gain with following our Lord thanks Joel that's the kind of encouragement your support today will bring to more people around the world as you help share the teaching and resources of telling the truth so others can experience life in christ and we'd like to encourage you this month with a wonderful four message series from jill briscoe called eight things that make a marriage work as well as a beautiful printed bible verse about marriage in her series Jill Briscoe teaches eight Biblical keys to a healthy, life-giving marriage and shares her own insights from her 60 years of marriage to Stuart. We'll send you eight things that make a marriage work and the Bible verse print as thanks for your gift today to help more people experience life in Christ through the teaching resources of Telling the Truth. Your support enables countless people across the globe to stand strong in the unchanging truth of Scripture. And we're so grateful for friends like you. Request your copy of Eight Things That Make a Marriage Work when you call 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388. Or give online at tellingthetruth.org. All right, it's time to get back to today's message from Stuart, God's Design for Marriage.
1: Well, I mean, I told her I'd believe anything, but this stretched my credulity <laughs> because I really hadn't understood. I hadn't been here long. I hadn't understood that deer hunting is the state religion in Wisconsin <laughs> and that the state closes down as deer hunting. And grown men put on orange suits, heavily armed, go off into the world. You hire... Wild blue yonder, saying, "If we don't kill these deer, they'll die." <laughs> I understand it now. It clicked. Took forty years for to understand. I looked. With incredulity. This young man. And he said. I go to the symphony. With her. Oh I said I've got it. I said. To the young lady. You like classical music do you? She said yes. And I said and you like shooting things do you? <laughs> he said yeah. If we don't kill them. They'll, they'll, yes. I yes. <laughs> I said I've got an idea. Why don't you, seeing he's always gone deer hunting and it just happens to coincide with your wedding day. Why don't you just go deer hunting with him and sit up there in the woods and play Beethoven? (laughs) And he said, it'll frighten the deer away. (laughs) I said, oh, okay, well, come on. I said, we won't give up that easily. You like classical music, you like shooting things. Okay, this is what you could do. Why don't you go to the symphony and take your gun? <laughs> and she burst into tears all over again. But, but you know, we were gradually getting somewhere. We were gradually getting somewhere. Do you know where we were getting? Eventually, she stopped crying. And he loosened up a little bit. And they began to laugh at themselves. And they realized how incredibly immature and selfish. There's the word. Selfish. They were. If you don't remember anything else I'll tell you, remember this. Selfishness is the deathly enemy of marriage. Selfishness is the deathly enemy of marriage. There has to be a willing to leave. Because now I genuinely believe I have met my better half. And hopefully she believes the same. These are the foundations of marriage. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Here is the fourth principle. Marriage requires commitment intended to last. Marriage requires commitment intended to last. I'd happened to see an interview with Mrs. Jenny Sanford, who was married to the governor of South Carolina, who went on the Appalachian Trail, but got lost and finished up in Argentina. <laughs> you remember? His sense of direction was a little off. She says that when they were in premarital counseling... And they were going through the vows that they were going to make with each other. He took out a pen and crossed out that he would commit to being sexually faithful. And she married him anyway. Talk about a red flag. (laughs) Could you imagine a guy doing that? He did it. And at least he was consistent. I'll tell you something. If there isn't right from the very beginning an intention, an intention to commit to this one in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, richer or poorer, till death do us part, that marriage will start out on a very shaky ground. Now I, I fully understand That there are circumstances under which, because the context tells us this, under which God does allow divorce. But that's not our topic. There are circumstances where I believe God does reluctantly allow divorce, but he does not countenance marriage that says basically, well... You know, we can't really commit too much because we're all going to change and who knows what's going to happen. So let's be adult about this thing and we get a car and it doesn't work. We trade it in so we get a wife. She doesn't work. We won't say trade her in, but we'll get a new model. God does not countenance. that as marriage. There is a leaving and a... Cleaving. That was the old word in the old English Bibles. The the problem with the word cleaving is it can mean two mutually contradictory things. A cleaver is an axe, right? And what do you do with a cleaver? (laughs) You chop something in two. (laughs) And what does cleave intended to mean? You stick two things together. In fact, stick is the key word here, the Greek word. Here is the word that comes from the word for glue. Glue. And I used to tell young couples sometimes until somebody objected, which is intended to be humorous and true as well. At the end of a wedding, I would say, I would explain about cleaving to each other being the word for glue. And I, was, and I would explain to them, what this means, young man, for you is you stick with her. What it means for you, young lady, is you are stuck with him. I thought it was very funny, but they didn't. Anyway. Have you got it? Do you get these foundational principles? At the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. For this reason, the man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And the two will become one. The two will become one. Now it says here, one flesh. That has physical and sexual connotations. Please notice the order. Not we will become one physically and sexually, and eventually we might even get around to legalizing it. What's a piece of paper anyway? That is not the order. The order is we are going to take these steps that God has called us to, and as we intelligently, willingly, lovingly, before him come together, then and then only. Can we act out the reality of our union in that beautiful way that God has ordained for marriage, sexual union? And what we're talking about here is a wonderful mystery, how two will become one.
0: That's Stuart Briscoe you're hearing today on Telling the Truth. We'll come right back to wrap up today's message. But first, whether you're already married or plan to get married someday, you'll want to know how to build a marriage that's not only long-lasting, but also joy-filled. That's why we'd love to send you Jill Briscoe's four-message series, Eight Things That Make a Marriage Work, as thanks for your gift of support this month. In it, Jill shares timeless truth on marriage from the Bible, along with practical day-to-day advice from her own marriage to Stuart. You'll find that Jill's wit and wisdom make this series a fun and encouraging listen that's sure to encourage you at whatever stage of marriage you find yourself. And as extra thanks for your gift, we'll also send you a beautifully printed Bible verse about marriage to encourage you each day. Through your generous gift today, You'll help more people experience abundant life in Christ through the unchanging truth of God's Word as you make it possible for Telling the Truth broadcasts like this one to continue going out across the globe. So be sure to request your copy of Eight Things That Make a Marriage Work when you give a gift today. Call 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388 or give online at tellingthetruth.org. Now, let's hear the conclusion of today's teaching from Stuart.
1: When I've been in pastor's meetings, you know, I guess when people come together with professional people of, in similar professions or whatever you want to call them, pastors are just the same. They get together and they talk shop. And one of the things they always talk about is weddings. Oh, boy, these weddings and these mothers-in-law and, you know, all this deal we've got to get into is... With weddings and and how long it takes in preparation and and then rehearsals and then you've got to go to rehearsal dinner and then you have a wedding and then they want you to go to the banquet after it's all oh, weekend's gone on this little wedding and I said guys don't grumble just thank God they're getting married and thank God that you can help prepare them for marriage and always remember this when you stand at the front. In front of a young couple who are making their vows before the congregation and before God. A remarkable thing is happening. God is taking two people and making them one. And you have the privilege of presiding at that sacred moment. Don't grumble about it. And I guess I have officiated at hundreds of weddings i never forget that. If you take a glass of oxygen and a glass of hydrogen, you've got two glasses full of colorless, odorless gases. If you pass an electrical charge through them, you'll probably blow up the kitchen. So don't do it. (laughs) But if you know what you're doing, you will see a remarkable thing happen. You will see two colorless, odorless gases become one liquid. An entirely new entity. But that entirely new entity is made up in its entirety of two disparate entities. It's a mystery. God takes a man. God takes a woman. And by his spirit, he begins to work in their lives. So that they become one. And they spend the rest of their days discovering what that oneness means. And I want to tell you something. Years later. Jill and I are on an adventure. Discovering what happened. In Waterloo Baptist Church. In Liverpool, England. When a young bank examiner and a young Cambridge-trained schoolteacher didn't know much, but we knew whose we were, and we knew whom we served, and we knew whom we were going to obey. And we made our promises to each other on that basis. Praise God. He's enabled us to keep our promises and live a long time.
0: Great stuff from Stuart Briscoe. We hope today's message encouraged you. Before we go, remember that when you give today to help keep telling the truth broadcasts like this one, going out around the world, we'll send you eight things that make a marriage work. Jill's four message series, all about how you can build a strong, fulfilling marriage that stands the test of time. So call now to give and remember to request 8 Things That Make a Marriage Work along with the Bible verse print on marriage with our thanks. 1-800-889-5388 one 889 5388 Or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org Thanks so much for joining us today. Come back tomorrow and listen to more powerful truth straight from God's Word. Experience life next time on Telling the Truth.